All right, good morning, everybody. Looks like we are recording indeed. My name's Mike, and this is Driving Theology. And uh, thanks for uh, joining me on this drive. It is uh, November uh, here in Japan. It's the day before uh, official Thanksgiving, right? So this is Wednesday. The Tomorrow is the, uh, I believe, the fourth Thursday of November, uh, which this year puts Thanksgiving on what? November the 23rd, Ooh, which is my brother's birthday. Happy birthday, Johnny. If I don't find you, if I don't talk to you by then. Today's, oh, today's 22nd. I was wrong. So, yeah, Thanksgiving is on my brother's birthday this year. It's often on my birthday. Um, uh, <clears throat> love it if I can get this thing to stop jiggling so much. That's better. Yeah, so Thanksgiving is tomorrow. But we will celebrate it in my house here in Japan on Saturday as Thanksgiving Day is obviously not a national holiday in Japan. Not a thing at all. Uh, yeah, so we are in the last week of November. Uh, winter is just around the corner. <clears throat> Thanksgiving is coming up. And I have about four little Christmas gigs that I got to do this year that I'm kind of in the middle of planning for, practicing for, getting ready for, uh, and all that. It's kind of weighing heavy on my mind, I guess. Um, not that it's, any of it's a huge deal. I've got one thing that's, uh, gonna be just me for about a 30-minute concert that I gotta figure out still, and, uh, send the music out and get that all done. Um, but, uh, yeah... That is the biggest thing on my mind right now, I suppose. But the first thing is Thanksgiving, so I've kind of been getting ready for Thanksgiving, found some turkeys. Uh, we usually have a pretty nice-sized um, shindig at my house on Thanksgiving. For Thanksgiving, not on Thanksgiving, two days after Thanksgiving. Um, and of course, Thanksgiving for me marks the beginning of the holiday season. Uh, you know, I guess in a lot of ways, Halloween does the same. You know, you've got Halloween and then just a f three and a half weeks later, you've got Thanksgiving. And then a month later, you've got Christmas. And then a week later, you've got New Year's. And it's just this, you know, <clears throat> uh, long, long succession of events for us. Uh, and even in Japan, even though those are all Western or American or Christian holidays, uh, we have been kind of staying busy with them, even in Japan. We, uh, you know, that's in a lot of ways, that's kind of our job. Our job has been uh, to uh, promote uh, English.
promote English and to, uh, sorry, I had to pass a very slow truck. Uh, and in, in service of that, and, you know, I'm, I'm in the English teaching business. I own an English school. Uh, a lot of that has been to introduce American culture for good or for bad. And in the beginning, you know, when I first came to uh, Japan straight from America, I was very much indoctrinated in the cult that is Americanism. Uh, it still exists today. I was very much, um, very much a part of that, um, that cult. Uh, and basically, to define that cult... Uh, it means that you believe America is not only the, the best, but the most righteous nation on earth. You believe America is the, uh, is the nest of Christianity and, and missionary activity in the world. You believe uh, that America and Christianity uh, both, um, because you kind of believe them as one entity, uh, you believe that whatever they're doing in the world is the will of God, uh, and you you have this rosy, patriotic, nationalistic view of what your country does in the world, right? You you are unaware of many atrocities that have been perpetrated by the by Uncle Sam and the red, white, and blue, and and as you as you spend more time away from America, you you start to learn that other countries have a completely different perspective on what America is. Some of them very, very different. Some of them just a little different. Uh, but nonetheless, you start down a road if if you have any, uh, if you're self-aware at all, right? Uh, if you have any uh, level of uh, <laughs> um, open-mindedness, you will start to create a new perspective on your country. Uh, and part of it's just, you know, getting away from it. That's the idea of getting a perspective, right? You step away from something. You look at something from a different angle, from a different view. Uh, it's a wonderful way to solve problems, actually. When you, when you, have, uh, when you seem to be in the uh, grips of a dilemma, uh, it's good to step away, to go... Uh, in another direction, to look at the problem from a completely different perspective uh, in order to uh, grasp the nature of the problem and maybe catch a glimpse of uh, a uh, potential solution. Uh, and so that's what happens to people who live abroad for any length of time if, if they have even an ounce of open-mindedness. And I didn't have much. I didn't have much. But I was shocked. Uh, I, I guess in a lot of ways the rug was pulled out from under my feet when I heard other people criticizing America in ways that I had only heard other countries uh, be criticized. Countries that were enemies of America, for example. And these were from people who were by and large not enemies of America. Um, but they, because they didn't have any kind of a, an American 
hermeneutic, right? An American lens to look at America through, which is how I was looking at America, they could see a perhaps truer picture um, of America than I could. I was blinded by my nationalism and patriotism and religion. Um, and, you know, looking back on it now, this could have been the beginning of my path of deconstruction that could have been where it started it may have started with um, uh, being a little bit more aware of the true nature uh, of America and how other people in the world felt about America even so called allies right I think that was the um, yeah from Australians and from people from uh, the Philippines. And, and of course, the internet helped all of this, right? It helps this as well. You know, you, you suddenly have all this other information, all these other perspectives at your fingertips. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think that all goes a long ways. Sorry, I'm going to try to find a little water. My throat's a little parched. I had some really good coffee this morning. Cold water is good. <clears throat> so that may have been the beginning of my path of deconstruction. And if I'm honest, if I go a step farther from there, uh, a step earlier, my parents' divorce could also have been uh, where the, uh, what, do, what do we say, the kinks in the armor? Where the kink in the armor begins to show, right? cracks in the wall begin to form. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm grateful for all of it. I'm grateful for having lived away from America so that I could actually um, get a better perspective on America. <clears throat> and I recommend, I highly recommend, I could not recommend more you getting away from America for a time. Uh, especially if you love her. Um, I know I kind of just anthropomorphized America. Um, you'll have to forgive me for that, but that's just how we usually refer to America, right? Uh, I think it's, it's good for you to get a better perspective on, on your family members and, and, and on yourself somehow, right? All the organizations that you uh, are a part of, you know, that maybe you're too close to actually see them for what they are. From time to time, get some perspective. Uh, find a way to get perspective. There's some really interesting ways that we can get perspective. I, I, you know, just thinking, <clears throat> there, there are tales uh, that have been told of... Um, kings who would disguise themselves as the poor and then go into their kingdom and find out what people are saying about the king. Uh, and some of them did it with noble intentions, right? To get, to get some 
idea of what the kingdom looks like uh, to the common people, how they're being treated. And then they go back and they're a different king, right? They, they, they have a new perspective. They didn't know things that they now know because perhaps they were uh, shielded or protected by other people in power from knowing the truth. And general, generally that happens uh, in order to keep certain people in power or in prosperity, right? To keep certain people rich, uh, we might hide or conceal the truth from other people who might uh, bring down the entire house of cards, right? The king, for example, who would have the power to do so. And I'm rambling today. Maybe that coffee was really uh, way better than I thought it was. I mean, it was really good. Uh, I'll just do a coffee check and tell you what I did drink this morning. So this morning I had, uh, I made uh, some drip. I didn't have latte, which is usually my morning drink. Uh, instead, I, I made some hand drip of this coffee that was sent from a uh, roaster and uh, cafe where my daughter used to work in the St. Charles area. St. Charles is in the uh, outskirts of St. Louis, Missouri, called Upshot Coffee. And they, I had their Autumn Howl, their Night Howl, Night Howl Blend, which is their Autumn Blend. Man, it was good. <clears throat> it's a medium to light medium roast uh, blend of three different beans. Uh, one of them, what was it? It was an, it was an African blend. <clears throat> oh no, I'm not going to remember it. It wasn't your normal, you know, Kenya or uh, something like that. It was uh, maybe the name of a city or a mountain. I can't remember what it was. Not Kilimanjaro. It wasn't Ugandan. Dang it. Anyway, that was half, and then the other half was Colombian two types of Colombian coffee. They call it their Night Howl Blend. And, uh, yeah, I just had it uh, pour over. And, man, it was beautiful. Really, really nice. Um, easy to drink. Light. Slightly fruity. Yeah. Beautiful, clean cup of coffee. Loved it. I did it on my cloth filter. Ooh, which I forgot to clean. Ah. Oh well, I got busy. Yeah, so, um, alright, back to where we were. So my school, you know, we still, we, we are, I, I suppose, an American English school, though we have employed people from Canada and uh, even other countries to, to help teach. Uh, but I think we try to, you know, we try to have a little perspective now on these these holidays. Halloween, you know, not so much. It's Halloween is not entrenched in uh, imperial Americanism. Thanksgiving, however, uh, is is it is a holiday that's entrenched in the imperial um, past of America. And of course, it, it it commemorates an event that was pre-America. You know, America was still, uh, I suppose, considered a British territory at the time. 
but uh, that event, the events after that, all of the uh, atrocities perpetrated on indigenous peoples of America by so-called Christians from Europe uh, kind of begins with Thanksgiving. You know, it's kind of the yeah. Uh, Thanksgiving commemorates, of course, a, a uh, celebration when uh, helped by the indigenous people, the uh, so-called pilgrims were able to survive the winter, survive the winter, to have a harvest, to put food away for the winter so that they would have a better second winter. Uh, this is their harvest festival that they got together with the indigenous people, supposedly, and shared a meal. <laughs> And uh, that's all well and good. And, and, you know, it shows that there were uh, indigenous people that uh, had no idea of what was going to come after and how many of these uh, Europeans inept at surviving New England winters were going to come in boats and ships and and, uh, with guns and pickaxes and all this stuff. They had no idea just what was coming around the bend for them. Uh, and it could have gone so much better, right? The entire the entire experience of Americans uh, or Europeans coming to the shores of uh, North America could have gone so much better. Um, but for greed, toxic religion, it did not, and and violence, right? Uh, and really, religion that has any kind of violence in it is toxic, right? That's what makes that's what's going to make religion uh, toxic. It's the violence um, that is considered righteous violence, uh, no matter what that is, whether it's actual physical violence or ideological violence or whatever um, but what happened after that time and the atrocities that were supposedly um, executed in God's name uh, and which eventually became for flag a country and the history embraced by Americans is inexcusable. It really should be lamented. In a lot of ways, Thanksgiving, um, though we can be thankful and should be thankful for all we have and are, uh, and thankful especially for Christ and his his example and, and his sacrifice and it doesn't mean we can't be mindful of those who have suffered oppression and I think in a lot of ways we should be both can be both. We must be both.
Yeah, sorry. Uh, it may, Thanksgiving is one of my favorite, has been one of my favorite days of the year. And one of the reasons is often my birthday falls on or, well, it always falls near Thanksgiving. Sometimes on Thanksgiving. My birthday is November 26th. This year it's going to be Sunday. Uh, but very often my birthday has been on Thanksgiving. Uh, and this year I think it's going to be my brother's, which is kind of cool. Uh, so, yeah, I... Uh, sorry, I need to set a reminder. Hey Siri, set a reminder to buy a birthday present for my brother Johnny. Sorry, had to do that. Um, yeah, so... What did we start off talking about? Deconstructionism, Americanism these days. So, you know, right now I'm kind of... I'm kind of torn between celebrating the traditional Thanksgiving that I've always grown up to love and enjoy. And I've been a host of for the last nearly 30 years. <laughs> to the reality that that event, if it even indeed happened, there's a lot of myths surrounding it, I think, that event marked the beginning of a lot of oppression that would befall the peoples of the, of, of the Americas, the indigenous people. And make no mistake, it was a genocide. And in some ways, on some level, uh, perhaps that genocide hasn't even ended. Maybe because we haven't ever come to terms with it. And it doesn't mean that the people of, of my generation who had nothing to do with it, it doesn't mean that somehow we are at fault. We're not at fault for actions that we did not take. All right? We cannot be accused of having killed the Indians. But... The Bible says, if you know that something is good and you don't do it, well then to you that's a sin. If we know that there's something we can do for people that have been generationally oppressed and perhaps continue to be oppressed and we do nothing, well then to us that's, that's sin, you know, you're... You're, you're choosing not to do something that you know is a good thing to do. Now, a lot of us, we, we just uh, choose to remain blissfully ignorant and we spout different things. Well, you know, they also killed each other. They also warred against each other. So what we did was, you know, pretty much what they were used to. Which is BS, by the way, because what we did is not on the level of what they did to one another in the slightest. Um, <clears throat> not a good argument. Um, but a lot of people will just keep keep spouting these these half truths and uh, misleading um, excuses 
as opposed to really taking a deep dive uh, into who's oppressed still today and what can I do about it, right? What, what, is, what is in my power to do? And I suppose there may be some of us that have no power to do anything. That's quite possible. You may, you may not have any influence that would make a difference at all. And so this is when this is when Christians resort to praying, resort to praying, not result, resort to prayer. Right? Prayer is one of those things that we do, uh, for good or for bad, when we feel like we can't do anything else, and that's fine. That's great. Uh, I think praying for such things and for people uh, who are beyond your power to help is a wonderful thing to do. But allow prayer to have its effect on you. Allow prayer as you lean into that prayer and as you lean into caring for these specific people that you've discovered need help, allow prayer to begin to open your mind to the Holy Spirit who can then guide you in the ways that you can help. You know, I, I believe, and this is going to be controversial, I, I choose to believe I choose to believe, and I say I choose to believe because I don't have any proof that this is the case. But it it seems to make more sense. It answers the most questions to me. I choose to believe that God chooses to work in the world using only human hands. This is why God so often partnered with people. We have stories of God partnering choosing people to do a specific work as opposed to him doing it, doing it himself. This is the history of the Bible. God identifying people who are ready to work for him, uh, encouraging them even if often they refuse and say no and reject his proposal. Uh, he continues with them when he's sure that he has identified the correct person. And this is the story uh, of Noah, uh, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It's the story of Joseph. Uh, it's the story of Moses. It's the story of Joshua and Caleb. It's the story of Deborah and Samson. Uh, the story, obviously, of Saul, David, Solomon. It's the story of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and all the prophets. It's the story of Elijah and Elisha, amongst others. And it's the story of Jesus. God continually raises up men to not only be his spokesperson, but to be his hands in the world to influence the world to go the direction that is best for the world, not best for God. God needs nothing, nor does he lack anything. But what God does have is a great compassion and love for his world, his creation, for mankind and for the animals and for the trees and the plants and the rocks and the rivers and the oceans. He's passionate about this world. 
And for whatever reason, the way he chooses to work in this world is through you and through me. We are his... His... Machine of... Of righteousness. We are the way that he gets things done. And for whatever reason, he chose to give us free will. I mean, we can say, no, I'm not going to do that. Or I say, yes, I'm not going to do that, but then I don't do that. Or I say, no, I'm not going to do that, but then I do do that. All through choices, all through free will. God chooses to partner with mankind in the in the healing and fulfilling and discovering the potential of the world. You and me. That's how that's how he does things. So sure, you may not right now be able to see where you can make a difference in the world, but uh, God can see how you can do it. God knows how you can do it. And if we can open ourselves up to him and agree with him, then I think we can we can find more specific ways that we can help. But you know, the biggest thing is just open your eyes. Oppression is not something that is only in certain parts of the world. You don't have to go to Africa. You don't have to go to the Middle East. Uh, you don't have to go to the indigenous tribes of the Americas. There's oppression everywhere. Oppression is, is, is part of the fallen world. It happens in every family, uh, in every school, in every business. Uh, there can be oppression, I shouldn't say. It happens in every one. I don't think it does. But anytime you are intimidating somebody by your size or your strength or your knowledge and you are using those things to control another, that's oppression. If you are threatening violence to get your way, that's oppression. So oppression's happening around you. There are people who are being uh, taken advantage of. So I think maybe my prayer for myself is, Lord, help me to have my eyes opened today, right now in my context, to the oppression that's happening here. You know, and if we all do that around the world, then I think... I think oppression will be less tomorrow than it was today. And maybe significantly so. Because the oppressed are oppressed because they know, have no one fighting for them. They have no one defending them. And I don't mean, I'm not talking about violence. Uh, perhaps I'm talking about calling out the oppressors. Uh, siding with the oppressed. 
a lot of oppression happens because no one's called them out on it. And there are those of us, there are certain, there are those of us, I think, who do have a tendency to be an oppressor. It's almost part of our our personality and maybe it's because that's how we had to survive like we we um, created certain personality traits that helped us survive in a very oppressive environment that we became oppressors ourselves because we were oppressed that's quite possible I'm using the word oppressed a lot today Maybe I'm feeling oppressed. (laughs) And all this is to say that I also struggle in figuring out what it is I'm supposed to do good in the world. I, I, you know, I, I have a tendency to think of big ideas and obviously theological stuff that kind of separates me from the you know, the, the world I actually live and move in. It protects me from having any responsibility to actually do something. You know, I can just, I can just say stuff. And because I live in Japan where if there is oppression, it's, it's very difficult to find. Uh, well, then I'm excused from doing that. But it does exist here. It exists everywhere. Uh, It may be more hidden in some places. It may be very obvious in some places. And it's scary to stand up to oppressors. But I'd say, number one, what I need to do is take a look at myself and say, hey, where am I oppressing people? You know, as a teacher of children, for example, do I use my size um, or my strength to get what I want out of children? Right? Do I... Do you know? Am I acting in, in such a way uh, that shows that I am not threatening violence, so the kids will behave? For example, now a lot of people will say, the "Bible says, spare the rod, hate the child." Um, it's hard to disagree with the Bible, but I will say. Not many people use the rod anymore, no matter what the Bible says. Uh, And if you're not using a rod, uh, sure, discipline is good. Kids need discipline. People need discipline. Um, But the end does not justify the means. And I think that's what we need to be careful about. That's your everyday oppressor, right? Your everyday oppressor has good means in mind, or good ends in mind, right? They want somebody to behave, maybe to stop being mean to other children or uh, to do what they're supposed to do or whatever it is. But the modern-day oppressor, uh, I think, thinks that under that end, you can do nearly anything to achieve that. And that is not good. That is not good. The end's... The end does not justify the means. 
Not by any stretch. Man, this was a little meandering, um, uh, meandering uh, journey to get to the point where I encourage us to, to stand up for the oppressed. But I think I think that's, you know, maybe that's where Thanksgiving now can be found in a better theological context. Be thankful that you're not oppressed. But use that gratitude to help those that are. I think that's my my Thanksgiving message to you. Sure, be thankful that you're not oppressed. That's fine. You you are in a position to help others. So now work on yourself and then find those in in your context, in your everyday life, uh, who need help, who are oppressed. Doesn't mean you can't do bigger things. You can't, um, you know, support organizations that that help get people back on their feet in uh, places where people are are less fortunate than where you are. You can still do that, but you can't do that without also doing it in your context. And you certainly can't continue to be an oppressor. Uh, somebody who uses violence or power uh, to make people do or behave the way you think they should. The end does not justify the means. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Bye-bye.